0: I was excited this week because I had the privilege that doesn't come uh, to many to uh, yesterday afternoon uh, stand here and watch a little girl with braces and pigtails whom I had baptized be transformed into this beautiful young woman who was getting married. And I thought of... Her running the halls after she was baptized and joining youth groups and going on mission trips and meeting a boy. I didn't like that part of the story. But then them falling in love and Cassie and Jeremy now ready for a new life together. I thought of all the sermons that this little kid must have had to endure over the decades that she was here. All the ways that we have tried to talk to her about what it means to know God. And how often that gets lost because there are so many words, we don't leave enough time for the most important words. So we want to spend this fall talking about the three most important words, looking at them from different angles, so it's not faith and hope and love, blah, 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 but we understand it differently. And so we have spent a month talking about faith. Faith, we said, that moves us. What does faith really mean when you get through the religious gobbledygook? The very first week we said that if faith does anything, it's supposed to provide us with a view of the world, a world view, a map, a map of life. And we said in that, that faith offers us a connection to God through this journey that we take through life. And the Bible, if faith is a map, the Bible is the treasure map. We pick it up. We read the stories. To find our way through life. To find the treasure. And the next week. We saw that faith helps us even when we doubt. Faith helps us when we blink. And in pain. Life does not seem to work. Facing doubts. We learn to say together. With the father. To Jesus. I believe. Help my unbelief. Put me in the company of people who have faith when mine fades so that we can help one another. Last week, Brad talked to us about another side of faith. He says, Faith is just a religious word unless it comes to life in action toward other people. Without action, faith is just dead religion. That turns into legalism. And he quoted James the Apostle who said, Without work, faith is dead. Where is your faith at work in life Today, I'd like to say that at its root, faith is about a relationship with God in a way that is supposed to save us. We talk about salvation or being saved by faith, but I wonder if you could explain that to somebody who doesn't know the Christian story. And so I wanted to talk in very specific ways about what does it mean that we need to be saved. Again, faith helps us decide how we see ourselves as human beings. Many in the world see themselves and others as intelligent animals. Brought together by a combination of uh, chemicals and temperature, accidents of biology, and for them, the idea of salvation or being saved doesn't mean anything because there's nobody out there to talk to. Others of you are here because you are basically good people who believe that there is a God, and you believe that as a good person, you need love and encouragement and help in trouble. Is that what it means to be saved? Does being saved somehow mean that we get protection? That we baptize these little babies so that there is sort of a, a God saran wrap around them? Is that what we mean by being saved? So some of us would be intelligent animals and some of us basically good people who need a pat on the head. And many more in the history of the church would say that they are sinners. An odd word to our ears. But that they, that we, are sinners. Those of you who are condemned to read American literature in the 18th century read the, the sermon of Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. How people in church, were pulled to the edge of the pit of hell and forced to dangle over, looking down and saying, that's you, that's where you're going, if you do not flee from evil and turn to God. Are we sinners in the hands of an angry God? I think that we've basically lost that sense, haven't we? We feel pretty good about ourselves. We feel that religion in the right dosage improves our lives. But the danger is that we have lost the sense of a holy, holy God. How does faith save you? Listen to the way it saved the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul said he was doomed. And then somehow he had been saved and he wanted to show you that secret. In his letter to the church in Ephesus he said this. You were dead. Dead in your sins in which you lived when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the evil one, the spirit now at work in all who are disobedient. We all lived among them like that at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and its thoughts like everyone else. By nature, we were deserving of wrath. We were objects of wrath, another Text says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in sin. We are dead in sin or alive in Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is nothing that you do. It is the gift of God. Not by your works so that anyone can boast, for we are God's masterpieces. In the Pew Bible, it says you are God's handiwork. A better translation, I believe, is you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for each of his children. So, salvation somehow for Paul meant that you were dead in your sins, you were an object of wrath of God, and somehow you were brought to life. This is not the same thing as saying bad things will happen to you if you don't get the answer right. Or when something goes wrong in life, I must have done something wrong. Instead, in some fundamental way, the Apostle Paul is saying that our relationship with God is broken. That somehow, even when we don't want to be, we end up walking away from God or on the enemy's side, seeing life in a non-God way. Faith is to help us see who we really are. The good, the bad, the ugly. And out of this, this passage, I think two errors have come. The one that a lot of you have fallen into that I struggled with when I was young was what I would call worm theology. You read this passage and say we are by nature God's instruments of God's wrath. And you see, I'm a worm. They're right. I really am a bad person underneath. If they knew who I really was, they wouldn't even let me sit in the pew. God's going to get me sooner or later. I have to try harder. And then others of you would say, no, that's not me. I, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And I, if I play the game of faith and life the right way, then I probably will end up in the right place with a good life. Most of us fall on one side of the scale or the other of that. The try harder is because I'm afraid that God's angry or the I'm okay because I'm basically a good person. I wonder, what's, what's your default? I would love to have the courage to ask you to raise your hands for which of those two options you fall closer to. I'm terrified to find out the answer. But I believe that neither of those, even if they are your default, are the deepest truth about you. Because I don't think they're the deepest truth about me. I have turned from a worm, fearing the wrath of God, into an older brother, confident of my salvation and judgmental of other people. That's my struggle. But, deeper than that, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I think there is a hunger inside of me and you for a better life. What Jesus calls life in all its fullness. I get maybe one hour a week. Maybe one minute a quarter. This is what it's supposed to be like. And it's not necessarily when I'm on the mountaintop or having this incredible experience. It's one of these moments where God seems close and everything seems right. No matter how it's going. I think we're designed to be connected to God but we sense that something is off. If we're honest, we sense that in some way we are broken. And into that, God comes toward us. The holy God comes toward us. John Ortberg has a great book. And he says in here, the central promise in the Bible is not I will forgive your sins. Although, of course, that there It's not the promise of life after death. That's not the central theme of the Bible. Even though we're offered that as well, the most frequent promise in the Bible is, I will be with you. Here I come. I will be with you. Before Adam and Eve ever sinned, they were promised God's presence and walked in the evening with God. In the Old Testament, Enoch walked with God. The promise of God's presence was made Uh, To Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, Amos, Mary, Paul, so many others. God says, I will come. The presence of God is the reason that they had courage. Because they heard God say, don't be terrified, I'm here. The presence of God is what keeps some of us going when it's very dark. For the Lord your God will be with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because thou art with me. The central promise in the Bible is not, you're in big trouble but I will forgive you. The central promise is that I will be with you. In the Old Testament, God keeps showing up. He gives them the Ark of the Covenant and the Tabernacle, manna, the temple, the temple the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire. They're like post-it notes that say, here I am, I'm God, here I am, I'm with you. When God himself comes to earth, his name was Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. And when Jesus leaves, he says, I'm sending the Spirit to be with you everywhere. And at the end of time, When sin is defeated and all of our fears are distant memories. The picture of life with God is that God's dwelling is now with his people. And God will dwell with them forever. That's faith. Faith somehow lets us see that God is running after us. That God wants to be with us. That God is coming for us. And that's a great thing. That's either the very best thing or the very worst thing. Because if the holy God is coming into a neighborhood near you, are you ready for that God to be there? He said, you were objects of wrath. And like Adam and Eve, who hid in the garden from God, many of us either run from God or put God in a little box, Or try to impress God. We are objects of wrath. Or we are uncertain whether God is angry still at us. But salvation, being saved by faith, brings another image. And that is in that last line of our passage. He says, for you are God's masterpiece. Created for good works before the foundation of the world. You are not junk. You are God's handiwork, God's masterpiece. But something has been broken. You're God's masterpiece, but something has been scarred and you can't see it. You will be, uh, for the next several years I'm sure, uh, over and over deluged with images from our sabbatical. One of the places we went was Rome. One of the best days we had was in the Sistine Chapel where across the ceiling, Michelangelo spent years telling the story of God, and perhaps the most famous picture of that story is this, right? God reaching out and creating Adam. But did you know that uh, by the 1980s, the candle smoke for 400 years had filled the Sistine Chapel and made it so that you could barely see the ceiling? And they undertook a 12-year process of restoration because they said that is not the masterpiece let me show you the masterpiece when you look at daniel on the ceiling of the sistine this is what it looked like in 1970 the next one please this is what it looks like today they are masterpieces that were broken have been restored. That's my image of what God's salvation is for us. Taking broken masterpieces that cannot fix themselves, no matter how hard we scrub, and turning us toward God so that the glory from God makes us gleam like that. Masterpieces being restored with hints of what the final product will look like. Some of you still look pretty dirty. None of us look like a masterpiece yet, but in all of us who have turned to Christ, there are little hints of glory. Some of you lose your temper far less than you used to. Some of you have started to use your money to help the poor. Some of you have learned those sacred three words and on occasion used them, I was... You can't even say it, can you? I was wrong. That is a hint of the glory of God trapped inside the broken masterpiece. As we turn to the grace of God by faith, God turns us, who used to be objects of wrath, into the children of God. You want another way to think of what your role is as a restored masterpiece? Think of it this way. Best moment of your day if you're a mom or a dad. Best moment. You walk into the room. The kid hears your footsteps or your voice and turns around and they beam. This is long before they're teenagers. <laughs> they turn to you and their faces glow. And they run towards you. Mommy, look what I did. Daddy, look what I've got. It is, it is a moment beyond compare. That is how God wants to feel when we hear God approach. If we turn to him and our face lights up with joy. Not afraid, not ashamed, not guilty. Restored masterpieces are children where the impulse to run to God is now without fear. And then we show God what we did today. Like we used to show mom and dad. Look what I did. Look what I did. This is my masterpiece today. Look what I did. And mom bends down. Look what I did, dad. This was my masterpiece today. And my favorite one, this one. Look at that, dad. That's you with the dress. (laughs) In my family, it's a little strange. They never knew. But... In each of those cases, the mom or the dad picks up the little offering that the child has and say, oh, this is the best one yet. This is the best one yet. We're going to put this on the refrigerator. This is the best one yet. I love you so very much. You were dead in your sins. Because of his great love, God, rich in mercy, made you alive in Christ By grace you have been saved through nothing you have done. Created in Christ Jesus, you are God's masterpiece. Saved by faith. Let's pray. Lord God, this is, I believe, the deep end of the pool. This is not a homily filled with cute little stories. But with the most important thing in our lives, whether it is true or not, if it's not true, then we are deluded and should live life however we want. But if it is true, if it is true that we are your children and we are saved by faith in your grace, then we ask you to come. And show us little hints of the masterpiece that you already see. There are some here, Lord Jesus, who have confused coming to church with coming to you. Who feel that if we act right on the outside, you will forgive the mess on the inside. So just as you came running after the prodigal son, just as you walked after Adam and Eve and would not stop walking I ask you to come for us to give us grace grace that sets us free faith that allows us to see what you are doing in us and what you want us to do in the world and forgiveness that changes us from objects of your wrath into the child who listens for his mother's or his father's voice at the door. Bless us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.